You know, it almost never fails that. Oh, you know what? Dude, dude we can't even do this right now, man. I, I gotta put my microphone in. Drop the microphone. Blue moon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 uh. <laughs> let, me, let me plug it in. There's gonna there's gonna be a little pause because uh man this looks better than the recording looks better than this thing. I hate Garage Band man. It's like it's like it's like a what was that one song with Public Enemy, remember? Oh uh, Burn Hollywood Burn. I got black suit at the crib. <laughs> That's what I was talking about. Yeah, King. Alright, let's see. Oh yeah, I do. Yeah, let's use it. Okay. We're good. I hope so. Alright. We'll see. Well I'll I'll see how the sound quality is with everything. After all this, all this, after all this garbage. All right. Well, uh, I was just starting to say, uh, it, it almost never fails. Like, you get this good uh, hieroglyphic, hieroglyphic song going. It's a good intro. Yeah. The beat is nice. Yeah. And then they start off with casual. I like casual, dude. Really? Yeah. When did that happen? Uh, ever, ever since your boy Cheeto designed the shirt, dude. Oh, yeah. Oh, I did like. I still have that shirt. I know you do. Do you fit in it? Well, <laughs> let's, not get, let's not get to that right now. Toit like a tiger. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's get into this. So we're at, we're at Muda Scale, and uh, you went on your little WrestleMania rant last week. I, I'm surprised we're, we're doing two Muda Scales in, like, back-to-back -back weeks, dude. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's good, and, and, and you're, uh, you know, at great cost to you, staying up, um, burning burning the midnight oil, burning, as burning it were. I, I say this is like an all-segment show, dude. Because you know, we're, we're in WrestleMania, and, uh, uh, you know, as as far as me not liking all the triple threat matches that are going on, and uh, especially like with the tag team titles, you know, it's like this is WrestleMania. You should have like a good tag team. I, there there was a time way back when, when the tag team match could have probably been you know the best the best match of the show. And now it's kind of like everything's like a, a three way title, and this 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 goes into perfect of of what I kind of want to talk about if you still want to partake. Because I, I really don't like the whole, I mean, I thought the whole Stephanie McMahon and, and Mick Foley thing was just stupid. I, I called that out like three months ago. Stephanie McMahon's doing her worst, her worst work I've, I've seen in a long time. It's just a dumb, it's just a dull storyline. So, what we can get into is, instead of just going like, why is there a triple threat message around this? I, I want to I go, go over the concept of, of, of making sure someone looks strong. And, and I think that's really what the... Uh, I think that's why you have so many three ways right now. You know, it's like because you want to keep everybody looking strong, right? Like you, you have like Bailey, uh, Charlotte, and Sasha. Mm -hmm. You want one of them to look strong, you know, and, and you don't want them you don't want one of them to like get the get the bad burn by leaping straight up. And I kind of feel it's the same way with the with the tag team titles, right? And, and the whole thing, the sad thing is that the triple threat match with with uh, Bailey, Charlotte, and Sasha. And I was able to say that, you know, back-to-back -back times, which that, that surprises me as well. Let's see if I can do the tag team one. And then the, the triple threat with Enzo and Kaz, uh, Sheamus, and uh, Castagnoli, like that. And then uh, Guns and Gallows. Uh, all, all three of these guys, I mean, all three, so everybody involved in these triple threat matches, they're strong. I mean, and I don't think they would, I don't think they would lose anything um, by going straight up against a, uh, an opponent, two men, getting in the ring, sorting out like men are, <laughs> men are ought to. But, you know, that's just kind of what, what, you know, 
if you had Bailey, I, I can understand Bailey, Charlotte, and Sasha because maybe the star power isn't there with Bailey. Uh, see how this is her first WrestleMania. But at the same time, um, she's been involved in great matches with NXT where, where she's headlined shows with NXT. And, and yeah, she had Sasha Banks with her, but um, you know, Charlotte is, to me, is comparable to Sasha Banks, right? Mm-hmm. And I even think, like, if Enzo and Kaz win and have their quote unquote WrestleMania moment, which I think is the, one of the stupidest things ever. Um, them having it, or just the idea of a WrestleMania just, just moment? Just, you know, like you don't need to have a WrestleMania moment, right? I mean, it's like, are, are we, are we that stupid where we need like a, a, we need to say that this is a WrestleMania moment? How come someone just can't win, right? So all I'm trying to say is like, if Guns and Gallows beats Enzo and Kaz, uh, you know, the whole thing is, is Enzo and Kaz over the past month of work have showed they're 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 already strong anyways, not because they've been protected or that they've been trying to show strong, but. Uh, the ring work has been has been good to adequate, maybe better than adequate. Uh, I thought they had a really good tag team match before Guns and Gals interfered, and I think Kaz, uh, Kaz overall. I mean, when you're looking at your prototypical big man, and like he's like he's like what Test was supposed to be, right? Right. With 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 that that much more charisma. So, and, and you know, if Guns and Gals wins or loses, I mean, how come I can't have like an epic tag team match with Guns and Gals, which they have put on in 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 Japan? How come I can't have them with Enzo and Kaz with, with, with Guns and Gallows? And maybe Enzo and Kaz, they're not good enough yet, but at least I'd like to see, see them try, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to say because if you really look at the way that they've been booked overall, I, I think Guns and Gallows have been booked the weakest out of the three, and that, that doesn't make sense. I mean, and you, you see it a lot. For whatever reason, someone gets a belt, and then they just go to jobbing all the time. I think they've righted the ship a little bit with Guns and Gallows. They, they, they've been better, but I think I think, to me the best way to do it would, is make Guns and Gallows dominant. Let them, they're the champions. Let them win clean, week in and week out. And then if you at WrestleMania want to have um, Enzo and Kaz get over, then at least they beat somebody that was on a streak and, and, and it gives them more credibility. So that would be the way that, that I would want to go, right? To make your champion look dominant, so when somebody takes that title from them, then you can you can rock them. Um, well, I do think. Well, let's get back to the whole like premise of, of why I brought this up of like making people look strong. Right, right. I, I think it kind of hurts wrestling a little bit. Yeah, well, and I was about to kind of get into that. Oh, just, really? just in that, I think that the one team that is in jeopardy of of looking weak would be Cesaro and Sheamus, and I think I think because that's those are the guys that you would think are the ones that are set up to take the fall in, in that match, right? And I think they're the ones in jeopardy since they've lost. They've been, you know, they put on great matches, but, you know, their, their win-loss is not that great. Cesaro takes a lot of falls. And I do think that, I don't, I think that, if anybody, they're the ones that are going to get hurt if they're put in to take the fall. Do you, you think there's any chance of them winning the title by WrestleMania? No. Zero, zero percent. Yeah, zero percent. I, I don't think so. And that, nothing against them. I'm not saying I don't like them as a team. And I, don't, I, I think they're, I think they're very good. I like them quite a bit. I just, that it, to me, it doesn't look like they would have a chance to win that match. Um, yeah, no, I agree. But and and kind of even to further what you're saying, the idea of them bringing in extra people so that someone can take a fall and keep the other people looking strong. Like a lot of the the talk um, is that 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 uh, that women's championship match is going to turn into fatal four way. And they're gonna bring Nia Jax in, and I mean, if anybody, if I mean, if that's not either Nia Jax or Dana Brooke, 
Now, like, if, if anyone's the definition of a Pappy in that match, it'd be Dana Brooke, right? She got no business um, Sniff, sniffing that match. Sniffing that match, and then you bring her in, and then she takes the fall, and then all three of those women look, you know, no, nobody, nobody, I guess, allegedly looks weak, but my thing is, you can you can look strong in losing matches, and if you put on a good performance and you don't win the match, then that doesn't mean all of a sudden that. I, I don't know if you can. I don't know if I I think me and you believe that she can look strong losing a match, but I think in today's in in today's era of watching wrestling, I don't think people understand the concept that she can look good losing a match. Because I mean, especially with like the social media and, and how gut reactionary it is, it's like oh this person's not getting their push. Or, you know, it's like they're they're so quick. Like, you know, you, you let, you know, the chickens have come home to roost, dude. You let all the fucking chickens out, you know, and they say chicken chicken stuffed in. And, and, they, and they, they help ruin the product a little bit. You know, they dumb it down. Yeah, well, but I mean, and I think that goes back to our conversation last week. Um, when your I was your really, conversation right, last week. Right, my, my <laughs> monologue last week is that, yeah, the, the product is being dumbed down. And, and that's when you bring in a guy like Goldberg. You know it's getting dumbed down. And when you get to the point now, and that's the thing I don't like is like uh, a lot of the booking is is made to satisfy the casual TV um, unknowledgeable fan. When if you just continue to do good things that work consistently, people will come around. Well, here, here's the other thing too, and, and this is what we brought up last week too. And, and I don't, you know, maybe we, we get away from this real fast because maybe this is a, this isn't the way. I don't even want to say maybe this is not the way. This is not the way that I want the conversation to go. But here's the other thing, too, is that you have WrestleMania, okay, and you have supposedly, like, your, 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 your three last matches of the night, or maybe even four, because you're going to have, yeah, it's four, so you're going to have uh, Goldberg versus, um, versus Brock, right, then you're going to throw in uh, Undertaker versus Roman, uh, Seth versus uh, Triple H, and then Bray Wyatt versus Randy Orton. Those are, like, your top four matches, right? And they're all one-on-one matches, quote unquote. Well, if you, I don't care about any four of those matches. Well, I, I mean, Randy Orton and, and I, I believe Randy Orton. I believe that Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt can be a good match. Now, I might not like the outcome of that match, but I believe that they can have a good match. Right. Um, I don't, you know, as good as Seth Rollins is, and whatever Triple H was in the past, you know, Triple H puts me to sleep. And if, if I can't stay up for a Brock Lesnar versus Triple H match. Then that's going to say a lot. Maybe you know, maybe Seth Rollins surprises me. I, th- I think he's the best worker in wrestling right now. But you, we'll, we'll see. This is his chance to see. So may- maybe I have to find reasons to watch you know these matches. But but real fast, um, how come though? Why come? How come I have these four matches? But then why can't I have Charlotte versus Bailey right straight up? How come I can't have Enzo and Cavs versus Guns and Gallows straight up? Or even Cesaro and Sheamus? I mean it's like. You can, I mean, a, a, rest, a good wrestling card in the past, and, and even some of the first pay-per-views that, you know, that we saw uh, WWE do, every single match was, was a one-off, right? It was like someone versus someone. It wasn't, you know, they didn't have so many gimmicks, and then when they did have the gimmicks, they liked, you know, Danny Davis and mm-hmm. the Rougeos with the Bulldogs and, and Tito Santana. Tito Santana. Um, those matches worked because it, it was like the only gimmick on the card, right? So that's what I'm kind of saying. Is like, it's like everything right now is it's just, and that, I think that's where make sure that person looks strong hurts you. It's like you can have a card right now, even with those four crappy main events that you're going to have. The preceding ones 
uh, you know, can be good. And not only that, I haven't even mentioned Kevin Owens versus uh, versus Chris Jericho, yeah. Sami Zayn versus Samoa Joe, or whoever Samoa Joe faces, okay. right? You can have, you know, this could be like this could shape up to be like a really really good card where it's like the beginning, you know, yeah, the beginning, the beginning like four or five matches are really good, and then you're gonna and then maybe that adds some to the rest of the last four matches. If one of those matches becomes good. Then all of a sudden, I, I think it becomes a case where me and go like, oh, that was a good match. Okay, hey, okay, we still have Goldberg and Brock Lesnar. What can they bring? You know, and, and we would never do that. But we could be pleasantly surprised with that match as well. But there's like the opportunity after seeing so many one-offs that maybe in a slight chance of, of me being positive and taking on a new light uh, in, in, in the way things are, maybe it would be entertaining because I've already been entertained before. If, I, if I'm watching all these stupid gimmick matches, it's just, just going to be a letdown at the end, which I already know it's going to be. I just want to hope, dude. Yeah, you gotta hold on to that hope, baby. <laughs> you want to go Robert the Bruce on it? I want to believe. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to lose sight. So, oh, man, <laughs> I'll tell you this: there's there's something to be said for for bringing some diversity of matches to WrestleMania. I mean, it's gonna be like at least a four hour show, maybe up to a six hour show, depending on what they do with the with the pre show. Um, and but not so many, though, dude. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. I mean, yeah, so you run the risk, right? If you have too many triple threat matches, right? But, um, but I, I, yeah. So, and honestly, I don't mind. I don't mind a triple threat match between Sasha, Charlotte, and Bailey, because I think all three of them have earned it, and it's a match that we haven't seen. So that in itself, I don't have a problem with. But I think you're starting to water it down when you then bring in a triple threat tag team match and. I mean, who knows what they're doing with the SmackDown tag team match. It seemed like they said like everybody was up to be in this uh, SmackDown championship match, too. So I don't know how that's going to go, either. But I would limit that. I mean, you have the Andre the Giant Battle Royal, which is your gimmick match, which is which I'm fine with in the sense that it's a way to get a lot of the wrestlers uh, on the show yeah. and, and get them a Yeah, that, that one I don't have problem with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I, think you're, I think you're right on the money with... Uh, Where's, where's the where's the six man match, right? You, you got instead of New Day um, performing on the show, they're going to be hosting it. I mean, why not? Why can't they be in a, a six man match with somebody else and, and make that an interesting match? Um, do do some different types of things, and I think that that's what makes it interesting. So you don't have like five one on one matches all in a row, and then two triple threats over here, and like you know, get, bring some diversity, have some different types of matches. You get they're also now obviously they're gonna they're gonna have Shane and. Uh, and AJ Styles is another one-on-one match. Yeah. <laughs> Man's always got to put their nose in stuff. Dude. That's true, and and I'm not saying that I'm a fan of it. But real fast, yeah, because I I really don't want to waste my time talking about that match. All right, um, let's not then. But that's like the whole thing. Yeah, what what you're saying is like yeah, you you need to diversify the matches. But there's something to be said where. Even, even, I'm even going to question that, right? Like, okay, you can have, like, you know, like, like a six-man tag with, with the New Day and stuff. That sounds good, right? Uh, I, I agree that the three, the, the three-way match with, with the Divas title is... Women's. Women's title, whatever it is. I don't care. Yeah, no. Um, is, it is a, you know, they, they're all deserved of it. If they make it a, a, a four-way, then, you know, whatever. Yeah, I think, I think the show, the four-way in that is way too much. But I think you take that three-way match, that that triple threat, and you put that somewhere within your top matches, so you break up the monotony of having four straight like one on one alleged main events, right? I think they earned it. They earned it through the matches yeah. that they put yeah. on. and and so maybe that's maybe that's the match that that we get that's diversified. What what I'm trying to say though is that 
right now, you have the performers where you can go one-on-one -on -one and it won't be boring. See, like in the past, they didn't, they didn't have those type of performers. They, they had these guys that, that they were trying to make look strong mm -hmm. and they ended up looking strong with these gimmick matches. Um, even like, I mean, even if you want to throw in like a, like a, like a steel cage or, or throw in a ladder match at, at this right. time, it's like w with a one-on-one -on -one thing, that, that would be fine. And, and that's what I'm trying to say is that you have performers now that you could have eight one-on-one -on -one matches and they're all going to be good matches and you're going to sit there and watch. And I, I kind of lend it to NXT when NXT does their, does their pay-per-views before WrestleMania. It's all, you know, for the most part, the first time I saw NXT was two years ago. And I was blown away by that pay per view because there was there wasn't any garbage. You had got you had you had one you know two people in the ring. One would lose, one would lock, one would one would win, one would lose. And guess what? All of it, everybody looked great. Mm -hmm. You know, winning and losing. And it's like that's what's missing, and that's that's what we can be. But you know, it's like that's kind of the same thing. It's like you throw a bunch of people, you know, trying to make trying to make one pie, and you're going to get a bunch of different varieties of pie. Yeah, and I think one of the things. Um, and I'm the one that gets fucked in the process. <laughs> I think one of the things that that is hurting them in this is that ever since they made Money in the Bank its own pay-per-view, which would be a pretty good pay-per-view, but they, they pulled that match out of WrestleMania. And uh, that match was always, I think, in the beginning when they were doing it, I think that was, that was a big attraction because that was a match where you got to see um, a, a lot of guys, up to six guys, um, really put on a show and then one of them came out as the number one contender that could cash in at any time and then that was a lot of uh, that was a lot of energy for them coming out of WrestleMania, right? Like um I think Dolph like Dolph Ziggler as a prime example when he won that, that match and then was able to come cash in on, on Del Rio and he got the huge pop that next day in Brooklyn. And you don't have that anymore, right? Because that because that not only um, gives you a good match that gets a lot of people involved but it also like opens up another storyline to come out of WrestleMania going going forward. So, I mean, I understand why they did it. It's still, I like the pay-per-view, I like the concept of that match, but not being able to have that match on WrestleMania, I think it it, it makes it a little more difficult. You know, maybe a, maybe a cage match would, would work, something along those lines, if you can't do a Money in the Bank. But I, I do like the Money in the Bank concept. So, let's go ahead and jump into something else. I'm, <coughs> I'm, I'm ready to go, and our podcast wouldn't be a podcast if you, if you cough it on wax. So I'm gonna I'm gonna label this uh this new segment brand new segment, and and we, we, we discussed this a little bit but you never gave me a clear answer so I'm gonna go with naming this this segment okay, okay. so the segment's called is he a jabroni or a chef by chef boyardee ravioli and the first guy that I want to talk about so basically what the premise of this of this segment is is that there's certain former wrestlers that have a high opinion of themselves. And what I try, what I kind of want to try to do is like kind of look at their history, kind of hear what they what, what what they've said about themselves in the business, and decide was this guy a jabroni, or is he legit with what he's saying with a chef or he ravioli? And what brought this about was uh, the guy that I'm going to talk about is Paul Roma, part of the Young Stallions. He was also with Mr. Wonderful, and I think he had a podcast with. Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, you, you listen to that podcast? I listened to the first one. I didn't. I didn't hear the second. Yeah. So, so you, so you listen to the first one. I listened to the second one, and uh, I, I'll say from the beginning, I was a big fan of Paul Roma. I was, I was a fan of the Young Stallions. Not so much Jim Powers, but I, I liked Paul Roma because he had, a, he had a certain look. Uh, he just had like that look, and then I, I felt his tag team was good. I mean, I really liked. I liked the Young Stallions. I thought, you know, they're they're fresh in terms of, they're kind of like a, 
I wouldn't say they were a knockoff of the, of the Rockers, but you, at the time you had the Orient Express, you had the Rockers, um, you had uh, the Young Stallions as kind of your lower card and, uh, tag team wrestlers, and then at, at the top you had you know the um, the Pink and Black Attack, mm-hmm. the Heart Foundation, and they actually had a match with the Heart Foundation. I thought that it was, it was a fun match to watch. Strike Force, I think, was still wrestling in that. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. But uh, I remember it was, good, it was a good tag team division. It, it was, it was decent. It wasn't a good one. It was decent. But I remember watching them on Saturday Night Main Event against the against the against the Heart Foundation. The Heart Foundation were the heels, and, and they were the faces. And you know, there there was a slight second I was going, man, like these guys should win. You know, it's a, it was a good match. You know, the Heart Foundation won, of course. But so you you have Paul Roma with that. Then you have him with uh, Hercules Hernandez and their power and glory. And uh, I, I felt that was a fun tag team as well, and that was one thing they mentioned in the podcast. But I really liked that. I, re- I remember I liked that tag team because I liked both of the guys too. I was like, yeah, I like Hercules. And then their manager was Slick. Mm-hmm. They, you know, and so the promos were good because Slick was good on the promo. And then, and then you know, you had a good kind of. It was the right combination yeah. of. Um, it was like, like it was like you had, you had a power guy and a guy all about the glory. So after that, he leaves the uh, WWE, and he goes to WCW, and he becomes a Four Horsemen. And I marked out when he became a Four Horseman. I wasn't watching wrestling. I, I think I was like 16. That's why I, 16. I was about 16, 16 and a half. So I was working, you know, 30 hours a week. Um, and I remember looking at a wrestling magazine, and I think I even called it like, "Yo, like, you know, Paul Roma's and the Four Horsemen." And uh, so that's kind of where it kind of spirals after that, right? That's where it kind of he starts getting exposed in terms of some of the people that you know are, are in the are in the business and wrestlers themselves. His last chance was was uh, he was with a uh, pretty wonderful with uh, with Mr. Mr. Wonderful Paul Lundberg, and then of course him, which I thought was a good tag team as well. I mean, they weren't a great tag team, but they were they were entertaining. So that's what he did in his wrestling career, and I think like his biggest like the the thing that he's known for now, like the, the most outlandish thing that he said, you know, recently was when they had the Four Horsemen DVD. He said that Ric Flair wishes that he could be Paul Roma. And that lost a lot of credibility with a lot of people, me included. Mm-hmm. Um, but after this, kind of listening to this pod, you know, listening to the podcast, kind of remembering how how much I liked him as a wrestler, and I, you know, I even thought you know he was you know I even thought he was a decent you know I thought he was a decent worker. I, the Four Horsemen didn't pan out, but at the same time, WCW was no great shakes back then either. So there's a letdown with that, right? Because it's supposed to be Tully Blanchard. You can't put Paul Roma in Tully Blanchard's place. So. With, and, and so the whole thing about Paul Roman is just, he says like he's a legitimate tough guy. Like nobody, you know, nobody would mess with him. People that try to mess with him, he got he got in their face. And a very entertaining podcast. Um, he he teaches. He has a wrestling school now, and I don't know how well it does whatever. But he generally seems. I think he's given back more to the business than people that have you know put him down have. Is this guy a jabroni or a chef or a ravioli? I mean, I, I'd have to go. Chef Boyardee Ravioli, I really? guess, in this okay. case. I'm, I, he's not a jabroni. Um, and, yeah, that, that whole Ric Flair comment almost killed, <laughs> like, more or less killed his career, right? Well, but, he, didn't, he didn't have a career, but it, I think it killed his credibility. It, it, it killed his credibility, in it, but, I, but I'm sure that once you, once you get on the wrong side of Ric Flair in that, in that manner, it probably makes it hard for you to, like, find the kind of work that you want to do, right? So, you know, he never really ascended past the mid-card, but I think if you look back and kind of you doing the whole retrospective there, um, you know, he was a very above-average to competent tag team wrestler and a lot of good tag teams. Like that Young Stallions team, 
was an entertaining team. I mean, they were kind of white meat baby face. Didn't even know if they were really going to get a push. Like, I, like I, I thought they could have just been jobbers, but they got like kind of like a like a mid range push that really I thought Roma was the driving force in that team. Um, but the Hercule, the the Power and Glory team, that was a great team. That that's a team that, and I think they talked you, about you it. Said, you said great with that team. It was a potentially great team. Yeah. And I think they addressed it in, in the first podcast, but like that's a team that probably should have gotten the belts and, and, and seen what they could do with it. Like there's no reason why that team couldn't have couldn't have had a, a, a pretty good tag team championship run. Especially with a guy like Slick. Like you know, Roma was I wouldn't say he was a terrible promo. He wasn't a he wasn't a good promo, he wasn't a bad promo, he was the mediocre promo. But having Slick there, like they could play off each other. Um so I, I thought that really, you know, if, if that team had gotten its its run in its time, I mean, I think it really could have changed, like, the dynamic of what his career could have been. Um, and I didn't really see the, the, the Orndorff team, but, you know, Orndorff is an all-timer, and I, I'd, I'd have to believe that would be a pretty a pretty credible team as well. Uh, but, yeah, that just, I mean, when you get your biggest opportunity then, you know, given all the other situations, there's an opportunity to be a horseman. And then you blow it in that fashion. It's gonna leave a bad taste in people's mouth. But well, overall, I yeah, he, I think he was a good he, he was a good um, he was a good worker. He was, he was, he was well, let, well, let's let's get into that. Yeah, I mean, and we'll go back to to his to his work in the ring. But I mean, there's no way that that guy could be successful in that spot, right? I mean, because the whole thing is that this was like the first reformation of the Horseman. There was plenty of reformations of the Horseman, but this was the first one that was reformed. It's like you know, Flair left. And then he came back, and Arnon Tully left when when he was coming back. And then Arnon Tully was supposed to come back, but Tully got pinched for for the cocaine. The cocaine. Um. But you know, and so I, th- I think Ric Flair like looked at Paul Roma, and he expected him to run with these guys with the way that they did in the past. And Roma, that's not the way Roma did it. And it, I think the really thing, you know, really insightful thing that Roma said was he was like. He was like, listen, he's like, when it's me and Arnold, it's fine. He's all, but Arnold's a different person around Ric Flair. So you kind of have that kind of like hero worship thing with Arn Anderson. Like, Arn Anderson's like, a, he's like a backup to everybody, right? I mean, in terms of Ric Flair, like, you're, you're not going to cross him with Ric Flair. And I think that's one of the reasons why I like Arn Anderson so much is because he's loyal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but looking at his work, I mean, he was, he was entertaining. Uh, he, I thought, you know, I saw three or four Power and Glory matches, and they were textbook squash matches. But... The finishes were great. I mean, you know, they it was just the way they come, you know, the way they combined Hercules and then uh, Paul Roma would do would do a move off the top rope. I mean, it, it was it was good. Uh, I saw it pretty wonderful for a little bit. Um, you know, I, the, uh, of course, I gravitated towards other wrestlers at that time. I mean, you had like the Benoits. You had, uh, I think, you know, Benoit was definitely there, but you know, even uh, Brian Pillman. So there was there was a and that, they were forming the Horsemen again. So there's a bunch of kind of other stuff going on within WCW. I mean, he even had, like, Dick Slater. I mean, and, you know, I think it was I think it was Dick Slater. It was one of the old guys that I remember just going, like, man, like, this guy's, like, hella old, but he's, he's a good flipping wrestler. It's like watching old WCW, you know, old NWA. The one thing I'll, I will say about Roma is that um, Roma probably had about one or two matches without Paul Orndorff. And there were mid-card matches, and he lost, but the way he lost was, I mean, he was just like a jerk in the ring, like, just interacting with fans and just like really kind of like being like a like a ring general in that ring mm-hmm. and the reason why uh, he, he actually uh, 
he left WCW was because he wouldn't put Alex Wright over. I think they wanted him to put him over, and he was like, you know, I've been putting over this person over here. There's like some principle over like that. So he stuck true to his word. He paid the consequences for it in, in all aspects, but he's still his own person. So, you know what? I would probably, you know, even though everything about this guy says he's a jabroni, um, he he only answers to himself. You know, he looks at himself in the mirror and, and he, he's happy with it and he doesn't blame anybody for anything. So I'll, I'll make him a check for it. He's happy over the floor. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, and then just kind of just to mention it, just the thing that sticks out to me, I always remember he had like one of, in, in the time, he had one of the better drop kicks out there. And so I think he was like, I'm not saying he was like a. Uh, no, he had a good drop kick. Yeah. yeah. And so um, he was like technically sound. I mean, Jim, Power, Jim Powers was the house of fire. Right. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he was pretty, like, he was pretty technically sound in the, in the stuff that he did. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't. He was no Bret Hart. I'm not. I'm not trying to go that far, but he was able to put on a good match. He was. He was athletic. The look was good. Like he was big enough that you know he could he could go with bigger guys because of the build he had. But he was still really athletic. I mean, I thought everything was in place. It probably just yeah. fell apart. I mean, a couple he, he was small. Ways. He was he was he was small though. All right. I mean, like, height wise. Yeah, height wise. Yeah. But like like mass mass wise, I mean, he yeah, was, he, he, he could go in there. Um, but I think I I do think also. Like uh, having him come and kind of tell his story on Steve, Steve Austin's podcast also kind of lends some credibility because Austin spoke pretty highly of, of him, I thought. And he was like, you know, I always knew you as like a really nice guy and a good guy and this and that. So I think it counters like with the whole, you know, and part of his gimmick, you know, maybe maybe he lived a gimmick too much, right? Because a lot of what made him who he was in the ring was just being like an arrogant prick. And maybe he let that get the best of him with that Rick Co- Rick Flair comment. I don't know I don't know how much he truly believed it when he said. I'm not saying he did, I'm not saying he didn't, I don't I don't know. But that's like one of the that's that's what something you can't say. Like if you're saying it strictly for a way to get heat he doesn't play the game. He yeah. didn't, he didn't play the game in, if if he wanted that credibility right. and wanted to kinda of like <coughs> like to, to people look at with an objective eye like twenty years later going, Hey, you know, Romo Romo was pretty good. Right. Right. Yeah. But I think yeah, like like uh if if you're saying it in a moment to get heat because there's something coming up, that's one thing. But if you're supposed to be, On you know, four horses yeah, you, yeah, you should, you should, I mean, you should have a little bit of humility. Um, if you, with the career that he had to that point, getting led into the horsemen, like he should, he should take that with some humility and kind of cherish that to see where that could vault him to, and then making a comment like that. Um, you're, I mean, you're, you're, you're cutting yourself yeah. off at the knees. I mean, there's, there's ways to say it, right? Because even like in, in a Stone Cold podcast, like he, he gave Rick, Rick Flair a lot of credit, right? Like right. even like the opening intro when they introduced him, he's just like, you know, Flair cuts one of the best promos ever. It's like, okay, do you like, you know, if you had a problem with Rick Flair, which you probably do, and I'm not saying like Rick Flair never does anything wrong. Rick Flair is right. probably the biggest prick out there, but Rick Flair also is the best wrestler of all time, right? And everybody universally acknowledges that, except for Bret Hart. And, but Bret Hart, can say what he wants to say because you can probably say that Bret Hart's the best wrestler of all time. So, um, but there there was ways of doing it, right? Like he he could have he could have said like, hey, you know what, like, yeah, you know, I got the opportunity, you know, like, Ar- you know, Arn, you know, Arn's a great worker, you know, me and him work really well. It's like, you know, but at the same time, it's like I felt, you know, like Ric Flair, you know, never liked me, you know, like, I, you know, I I felt that I, you know, maybe I, I got more women than he did. And there was a problem with that. I was a young guy. He was the older guy. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand what happened there. 
he's up with overall, you know. So there's ways of doing it, but that's what I'm trying to say is like he's not doing that, right? And and he doesn't have to, right? And and that's pretty much the whole thing is like he's not looking for acceptance, and I think that's a big reason why I'll, I'll give him the ravioli instead of the jabroni. Yeah, yeah, and and I think uh, that could juxtapose well against uh, the guy that I'd like to to have uh, this segment be about the next time. So, so. okay. Oh, so we got we got a next segment. Awesome. Man. All right. So uh, speaking of Ric Flair. We're not. We're not going to go to our uh, ultimate mic, and uh, where where we do ultimate warrior promos. And uh, here we go. Let's see if we can do this. And let's see if I can do a promo without them. Let's see if we can do it. Nature boy, Ric Flair. What you see is the back page of the book that has begun to be written. But what you see now is the story that shall be told. Two different endings. One as I stand now, one half of the ultimate maniacs. You and Razor Ramon at Survivor Series shall find out that the macho man Randy Savage and the ultimate warrior are going to take the ultimate maniac to the limit. But for the WWF gold, I still stand only as an ultimate maniac. Who drove the royalties of the unwritten book? As long as you can, nature boy. For not you, not Razor Ramon, not even you, Mr. Perfect, can write the picture perfect ending against the ultimate warrior. The ultimate warrior yeah. planning to reach the sure. summit once again. Good job, man. Let's see what let's see if we're gonna do. Okay. You always have to bring up some, some odd thing that doesn't make any sense. Now, now, now none, none of it makes any now, sense. But now there's a book being written. Well, he's he's presenting the last page of the book that's about to be written. And it's a picture perfect. And then later on says that Mr. Perfect can't make the picture perfect ending. And Mr. Per- Mr. Perfect wasn't wrestling at that time. Why would you Why would you have the ending of the book on a page of the ending of the book that before that, that, that Rick Flair that Rick Flair is going to get the royalties for? Right. And then says that they're going to take throwing a little razor alone every now and then. Yeah, and then comic relief. And then saying that they're going oh, to yeah, take the Cisco. Take the ultimate what the what, what were they? The <laughs> the ultimate maniac. The ultimate they're going to take the ultimate maniacs to the limit when in fact they were the ultimate maniacs and should be trying to take their opponents. I expect I expect that I limit. expect that song from Scarface, you know, remember that song to the limit? You know, oh yeah, yeah, during the montage, and then of course, I thought, I thought of course, ha- of course, Razor Ramon is you know yeah. is a knockoff of uh, yeah. Scarface. Tony Montana. Did you know they're making they're remaking who, who, Scarface? Who, why aren't they not remaking, dude? How can you remake? So you know, Scarface was a remake of Scarface. Yeah, yeah. So did you know that? I didn't know there was a 1930 film. Yeah, I knew there was an older like. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was like Jack Benny. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now they're bringing uh, they're gonna make it in L.A. instead of Miami. And Scarface is going to be Mexican instead of Cuban. Oh, uh, yeah. It's going to work out very nice. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Yeah, okay. All right. All right. Um, so we're, we're knocking them down, dude. We're knocking them down. Um, so I want thing I wanted to talk about that we kind of didn't get that much time. Um, can, can I check to see if we're recording real fast? By all means. Okay. And usually this goes pretty fast. But hold on. Okay. So can we do the we're back like this is fake? 
This is fake. This is this is face magic, Mike. Yeah, just back from a, a word from our sponsor there. Um, mm -hmm. I wish we had sponsors. That would work perfectly. That would. Okay, so uh, I wanted. To what are you bringing up? I apologize. Cruiserweight division. Yes, with Austin Aries. Yeah. So. Um, no, I, I want to bring something up too. There's, there's a new one. There's, there's a. I don't know, but I'm saying we're gonna do a new, another new segment. But go ahead. Okay. So. Don't be all pissed off. Over the, you know, the the cruiserweight classic was was an excellent tournament. Um, and there was a lot of hype and excitement going into the cruiserweight division, and it kind of fell flat early on. Kind of, it did fall flat. Well, I mean, there was some good, there was some decent aspects to it, uh, but it overall, fell flat. but yeah, overall, be because there wasn't much character development and stuff like that, it fell flat for a while. Um, and then, uh, oddly, all of a sudden, it started to pick up momentum with the return of Neville. And I say oddly because the thing is, the guy, as we said, has no charisma, but for some reason. Like as a heel, there's something about him. Well, it seemed it seemed to work well as a heel, right? And and I thought like a lot of momentum was gained by one having this guy be a good solid heel to build this division around, but two, like he gave some stability in that he won matches consistently. Because I think part of the problem too was a lot of fifty-fifty booking in that cruiserweight division, and they couldn't really tell who they wanted to roll with. But then so now you get Neville, and he's kind of starting to run roughshod over over uh, the cruiserweight division, but if you built him up to this to this level, you need some legitimate foil, and I think they timed it perfectly. Um, I think they played it really well by putting Austin Aries as the commentator, and they always kind of planted that seed about, you know, because because he has that 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 confidence, that arrogance on the mic that like, yeah, this guy's great, but you know, there's probably somebody better than him, and always kind of interjecting himself into the equation. And now that he's here, I mean, I thought I thought he did a great job on that uh, when when he. Uh, and he knocked out Neville. Like both of them did. Like Neville set him up really well, and and Austin, I thought he delivered perfectly on the line on that line. He's like, well, I got really needed. So I got one more question. Well, I guess it's not really a question. It's more of a statement than like knocking him to Josh. I thought that was perfect. Um, Austin Aries is the kind of guy you. Can, I've always felt you can build a division around, even something higher than than the cruiserweight exactly. division. But but that's exactly that kind of feeds what that cruiserweight division needs. And I think think. You set it up. It's almost like a like a bullpen in Major League Baseball, right? You can have guys with arms, but you need to have somebody that you know is your ninth inning guy, and then your eighth inning and your seventh that all falls in place. It's pretty, pretty intricate, right there. Dude. And I think having Austin Aries as your closer, per, so to say, and then Neville as your eighth inning guy, it lets all the other pieces because there's there's good talent on that cruiserweight roster. It lets everybody else fall in line. And, and, so, and sometimes the eighth inning guy is more important than the ninth inning guy. Sometimes, right? Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes, the, that, sometimes the game's I, on the line I, in the sixth. I even threw you, threw you a compliment and you just kept on going. You're on, you're on your game tonight. You're, you're, yeah. you're prepping for this. Dude. I had to roll through. Um, I mean, I've been thinking about it for a couple of weeks. Your balls, dude. Yeah. Well, it's just good a, stuff. It's good yeah. stuff. It's just, I want the cruiserweight division to succeed. And, so I, and I, I could care less. So I think that's why I kind of like I'm... Yeah. yeah. But, well, I mean, I think you want it to succeed too, but I think you're just... You've seen this picture before, and you expect it to fail. You, you have a bunch of it, it's a bunch of vanillas, right? <coughs> a, bunch, a bunch of vanilla guys, and your and your main and your main antagonist and Brian Kendrick is not a good heel. You know, he's not not your top heel. He can be yeah, in the mix, yeah, but he can't carry. You. Yeah, and I think that was, and then you you bring in the uh, the British dude who I actually like, but Gallagher. Yeah, well, he's not okay. British. He's Irish or what? I don't know. Whatever, whatever. Gallagher, Gallagher's British. The, the pasty guy with the yeah. umbrella. Yeah, but he's British. Okay. Um, <laughs> the face you get. Oh yeah, him. No, no, I'm Dar. Yeah, Scott. Uh, 
But I mean, at the same time, like, like I like I like Gallagher, but I didn't, but I didn't like what Stephanie got on like in Raw time. It's just like he, he's like a comic foil, which we don't need. Mm-hmm. The the matches, the matches aren't developed enough where the, you can tell a good a good enough story like you need to with the cruiserweight division. And at the same time, I think the perfect sense is that you wanted to talk about them last week, but we didn't have enough time to talk about them. Just like they don't have enough time to develop them in a three-hour show. So I, so I think that's all of the, the issues that I have. A couple things that I do want to bring out, though, um, is, uh, yeah, I mean, Aries, you told me about Aries, and, and, and you're 100% right. And this guy has it factor all over it. Um, him and Neville, uh, they're, they're going to, you know, Nev- Neville's good. I mean, Neville, Neville can put on, I mean, Neville and Chris Jericho in Japan is, is, one, is one of the best matches I've seen in a long time. Um, I don't know how much of that is Chris Jericho. But you, you can take a look at a guy like Chris Jericho, right? Like, he's not a, he's not, I mean, he, you can make him like a cruiserweight if you kind of wanted to. And that's, that's kind of what I feel like with, uh, with Aries is that Aries, the thing that I don't like about the cruiserweight division, I'm sorry if I'm rambling on like a, a la Greg Papa or Donald Trump, but the thing that I don't like is like your top stars, why are they relegated to the cruiserweight division? Like a guy like Austin Aries can put on a good, program with anybody, whether it's a heavyweight, whether it's a, whether it's like a Sami Zayn, whoever it is, it's like, I just don't want to see him pigeonholing that, and I kind of feel Neville's the same way, and the problem, and here's the whole problem that you have with the way WWE's approaching these guys, is that when Neville was just doing non-cruiserweight stuff, he was like a Cinderella story, right, mm-hmm. and, and everybody had to move into his high spot, and it's like, okay, like, we don't need to do that, and then when he started doing the cruiserweight division, he did his, he did his, his Falcon Arrow, or whatever it's called, uh, what, what his finishing move? Yeah, Red Arrow. Yeah, the Red Arrow. So he, and he did that, and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that move, you know. And the way that he did it was actually good. Like it wasn't contrite. I was like, well, on top of that too, he's also brought in a, a pretty devastating yeah. superplex. It's more of like a like a super brainbuster, um, which I mean, it's it's just it's it's really nice. And then yeah, but I think kind of onto that, I think it makes it easier. I think those guys that they're that are in that division have been wrestling each other around the world for a while. They know how to set up for the red arrow or for the moves that they want to do. So yeah, I agree. Um, in the long term, it is a concern that Austin Aries gets pigeonholed as strictly a cruiserweight um, because he can do so much more. But in in the in the short term, in trying to establish this as a as a real division, Austin Aries is gold, and that's that's a guy you need. And um, I think really, not, uh, not no, to belabor too much, yeah. but the other, the other problem that they had uh, previous is, is not, um, like, the guys that they started that division with were not the best guys exactly. available to them. Yeah. And, like, not having Grand Metalik on there, yeah. that's, that's a big problem. Ibushi. Uh, Ibushi, though, I'm not going to put that on them because he decided he yeah, didn't want to sign. But Ibushi would have made it great. But the other one, too, that they slow played and... Once they decided like a month ago to put him on, that I think he's also making a real difference there. Yeah. Is Tozawa. Oh, Tozawa. But yeah. Tozawa, it's funny because like, like you you you, you, you put the Tozawa and Gallagher match on on Raw, and they would kill that match. Dude. You but, know what I'm saying? But down the line, Tozawa in the mix with Neville and with uh and with Austin Aries, those are gonna be great matches yeah. too. And the thing with Tozawa, which you know is always the concern with the Japanese wrestlers, how how do they connect and how do they get over with the American audience, especially if their their language is limited. And I don't know why. I don't know why it works, but his just little barking. Like, yeah, his little yeah. bark. It works. It, it works. totally works. Yeah. And the fans like got behind him like yeah. in two weeks. And they got they got behind the first the first match that he had on on the cruiserweight uh, well, classic. Yeah, but I'm talking about just the bark. because yeah. I don't think he was doing that in the he, cruiserweight. He did. I remember. Yeah. 
Well, the rock bands who are, you know, they didn't, <clears throat> I'm guessing, like, a lot of them haven't seen the Cruiserweight Classic. Like, maybe the first week, they were kind of, like, slowly, but by the second week, like, they were barking along with it, and they were, they were all about it. So, like, you're getting, you're getting a better mix. You can't just throw out, I mean, yeah, that just any guy that was in there. Like, the yeah. t- like there was some guys at the bottom of that tournament that, as much as I like the tournament, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say it again, Noam Dar does nothing for me, right? Yeah, and, and, and even even the other dude, the really dope guy. I mean, he doesn't with the beard. Meath, I, I I think there's something with Meath. There's something there, but he's but not not to roll out your division. Right, right, not to yes. And, and he's and a supplementary the, character. He's even, even the two the two black guys too. Or well, I, I like Rich I, Swan. I, you you like Swan, and and Swan's fine, but but he can't carry that thing, and that's what I'm trying to yes. say. And then, and and the other guy, Cedric Alexander. When you you roll him out with uh with what's the name, and, and it's just like an it's an old trope. trope. Uh, and then so that didn't work either. But you're right; it's, it's turning around. So what I want to do is I want to segue into this because you talked about a, a Japanese wrestler and, and how they would, uh, how would they relate to an American crowd. And you also talked about pigeonholing as well. So I want to introduce this segment where it's not going to be the match of the week, but it is uh, the match that you need to watch. Um, and what I, I want to talk about: um, T.J. Perkins versus. Um, Nakamura. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, T.J. Perkins versus Sensei Nakamura. And the reason why I bring this up and what what made me think about this whole cruiserweight thing as well. T.J. Perkins, uh, Neville, and Austin Aries can wrestle anybody. And and the whole thing is like T.J. Perkins. I did not like T.J. Per- I like T.J. Perkins, but I didn't like him uh, when they first brought the cruiserweight division uh, because it just I don't know. It didn't it didn't make any sense. I mean, it's just like this. He was like this super vanilla, super vanilla guy that couldn't get any heat good or bad. Mm-hmm. And then you put him in a match with, with Shinsuke Nakamura and all of a sudden he's like, man, TJ Perkins can wrestle. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what the problem that I have with the Cruiserweight Classic. But I really like that. I really like that TJ Perkins match. And I really, I thought TJ Perkins showed really well in that match. And it made me remember, hey, oh, that's why I like TJ Perkins. Uh, mm-hmm. Shinsuke, it, it, it's funny, it's like Shinsuke has his match, right? And we're finally starting to see that match. It's like a really, really slow build up. A lot of kind of just, you know, circling the ring and, and testing each other out, you know, fake lockups here, fake lockups there. And then, you know, offense, and then he allows the other person to shine, and then he comes back in and he shines as well. So, and then, and then when, when Shinsuke loses, and this is what I what I kind of had a problem with with the Samoa, uh, not the Samoa Joe match, but with the uh, Bobby Roode match, was that he had to get hurt. And this brings us back to the whole thing of, well, make sure Shinsuke looks strong, right? It was nice to see a Shinsuke Nakamura match again, where a story was being told. It wasn't a long story, but it was a story that I wasn't expecting. And I knew coming in when I first heard that match, saying, okay, T.J. Perkins is going to fight him. I knew T.J. Perkins was going to shine on that match, because not only is he good, but I think Shinsuke brings out the best in a lot of people. Kind of like Chris Jericho as well. Like He, he can make someone look great, and it was nice to see T.J. Perkins look great for a while. Well, I think like all the psychology lended itself to that match as well, and that um, the story for Nakamura is that he's coming back off this knee injury, and you know, um, you know Perkins' finisher is the knee bar. And I, what I liked is that you had Perkins going after the knee, but it didn't become a crutch where Nakamura is just like getting his knee tore up for ten minutes, and then and then has a comeback with Kinshasa, right? Like you know, he got his knee attacked, he checked it out, it was stable, he was able to continue. They didn't they didn't just like um, they didn't use it as a as a crutch, so to speak, in that match. And and TJ Perkins did damage to the knee, and, and he, and did, look, he, did, look at, he and did look at heat off of yeah, it too. And, and so and yeah, so I thought that match played itself out really well. I'm just glad that I'm just I'm just hoping that someone can see what TJ per- Perkins can do, 
Because I mean, the whole thing is like, I like your shirt, dude. You know, you, you okay there? Yeah. You, you, you got more important things you gotta look at there, dude? No, I'm good. I'm, I'm yeah. with you. I'm with you. <laughs> I, I've been waiting. All right, so let's go ahead and uh, why don't you why don't you fill out that check, dude? Go go ahead. Why don't we why don't I let you finish? Hey, you know, that what, what, what's there, up? there's no video here, man. <laughs> that, that you could have just rolled straight we, through that. We could we could have done video. Yeah, but you know, I'm gonna call you out. It it, it you know it, it brings realism to our relationship as as, as friends. <laughs> So let's go ahead and uh, I've been waiting. I've been waiting for your for your segment, which is uh, what we call it the, the the low spot. We call it the low spot, but we as the lunatic spot. We call it the lunatic spot. We, we, maybe maybe, maybe. That, that 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 idea was was floated out there last week. All right. Um, do you have one, or are you gonna fumble around? I'm gonna fumble around for a minute. Well then, let me do mine. Got it. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. You hey, hey, there, there you go. I'm I'm ready. I've been waiting. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, Wu Tang. Do you like that one? Really? I've been waiting. Yeah, let's try it. <laughs> you you at least heard that before, right? It, it, it's uh it's one of the Wu Tang's uh, maybe solo projects. But here's here's a here's a spot that I think is just bad. I actually have like two of them, but I'm gonna do this one first, and maybe I save the, the other one for later. I I don't get how you have a match, right? And it, it's a match that can lead up to somebody else with, with a different opponent, and that opponent has to like. Stand in the back room on this small little TV screen and watch the match. And it can be anywhere, but I, I don't understand why they're just standing there and checking it out. And the reason why I said it's because it was Austin Aries versus whoever it was, and Neville's in the back just like watching it, like with, with, stuff, with, with, yeah. with concern and interest. You know, yeah. it's like, it's like I'm, I'm doing my scouting right here. And then they had, not only did they do that, but then they had Guns and Gallows do the exact same thing. And then, you know, and then, uh, and then, um, Anderson is just kind of doing like the whole like oh these guys aren't good oh what's that move you know it's yeah, like the, the, the pretend conversation yeah, yeah, like, you know what I mean yeah, yeah, no, 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 like, the, the, the bad news brown uh, putting yeah. his arm around Bret Hart saying you gonna go over there and I'm gonna come around you know they're doing the like oh hey you know what you know like the A B C D E F G H I J K A L M N O P yeah Q R S T U V yeah that's, that's yeah, all they're doing yeah yeah I don't get that spot I mean like who cares dude it's like if I have to see that one more time I'm gonna lose it man well I can't we'll see I, it I can't take it dude. Yes, it's it's a kid. So you, you, you know what's akin to? So my daughter has like a she has a performance, right? Like a like a band performance. Now everybody or orchestra. So every all the parents, right, for the most part. Now it's nice like they have like beginning orchestra and it's all these kids that have never played an instrument in their life and like you know, they're you wouldn't think that there are kids that play orchestra, so there's benefits to it. And my daughter she's she's very good. But every single parent, every single concert from like third grade to like seventh grade whip out their phones for video. How many times do you think they actually look at the video? And there was even a guy in front of me who's doing like the whole, first of all, he couldn't get his kid because her, her, you know, she was blocked by someone. But then, so he started doing the whole pan effect, going, like going through the whole orchestra. It's like, dude, I'm like, are you really going to watch that? Are you going to watch that video? And I'm sitting there going like, dude, like, you've been taking that same flipping video since the third grade of your kid, dude. Are you really going to watch that video? And all of a sudden, <laughs> I look to the side and my wife's taking the video. <laughs> I was like, you're not going to watch that video. Who watches that video? He's like, Stop doing it. It's the same thing with, with these wrestlers, with these wrestlers watching the match. Why don't you like go? Why don't you go outside of the arena and like like sit down and have some popcorn or something, drink a beer. You're not working tonight, Neville. You know, like why are you standing up? Like why don't you take a seat? You know, you're in the back room. Take a seat, dude. Is, is there like a TV that says matches here? Did you have a fake conversation with your wife as she was uh, recording, like uh, like Gallows and Anderson did? Well, uh, you actually, the alphabet? actually, what we did was, uh, yeah, we we didn't have a fake conversation, but we had a lot of good conversations because the uh, the conductor she kept on like talking after every every flipping song. Mm-hmm. So I, I started I started texting her, uh, I I sent her a photo of uh, of the wrap it up, 
you know, on the Chappelle show with the with the one guy that was in hat. Yeah, yeah, right. But I mean, he puts the fingers yeah. in the water. Like, hey, yo, judge, wrap that gavel up. So then, what, so what she does is, is she texted back. She said, "Wrap it up, I'll take it," with the musical notes after it. So that was by the Fabulous Thunderbirds. So I found the video for the Fabulous Thunderbirds and I took a screenshot of the, of the video. Like I don't know if you ever saw the Fabulous Thunderbirds, but it's like the song called you know you've heard the song. I know the song. Yeah. I don't. So the guy wore, used to wear like a yellow beret and like he used to wear like these like Miami like khaki pants with like the button up shirt. Miami Vice style. He, he's kind of a little, little heavy set, you know. Right. So yeah, so good times. Yes. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I don't know why they would just have this monitor set up in the middle of nowhere, right? You would think. Maybe they have a TV in the locker room, maybe, or somewhere else they can watch. But they just have a random but, TV. But it like up. yeah, but it really somehow like lends itself to program to that we all know that they're watching closely. So what I was gonna say is akin to, and, and hopefully this is a stepping on um, the next uh, low spot that you wanted to get to. But it's it's like the same when uh, there's a match, and they instead of having the guy in the back at the monitor, they bring him up to the broadcast table, right? And then you always know invariably he's sitting on the edge of the table, and at some point someone's gonna throw the opponent into him, and and now all of a sudden like he has to get angry at the person that was thrown into him, right? And now instead of being mad at the the person that did the throwing, he's got to attack the guy that just fell into him by accident. It's like you're sitting there, you know, you know that guy wasn't gunning for you; they, they just got thrown into you. Um, like the worst all the worst of it was the whole way they set up. Um, Gonzalez coffee? No. Uh, the the Cena Nikki Bella versus Miz and Maurice angle where like Nikki was having that match with Natalia and they went to the back and like Natalia got thrown and then she's like she's running like twenty yards to, to go wherever she is and then Maurice just walks out from nowhere and, and gets run into and then she starts going after her with a PVC pipe of all things not not a metal pipe but a PVC yeah. pipe right and where where where'd you get that PVC pipe and that's hard to get a, a metal pipe in the arena is easier to get than a PVC pipe exactly. Exactly. Is that, so we're, we're running the same thing. Yeah, it, it's. I think it's the same dumb spot. You know, like, yeah, they're with the, they're back there looking at the TV, or they're up on the, the they're up at the announcers table, and it's like, okay, when is when is someone gonna get thrown into him? So see if he can get upset about it, and then it just turns into a dusty finish with the disqualification. I had a situation like that in uh in high school, like not me personally, but like so this girl was like creeping around with all these people's boyfriends and stuff, and all the girlfriends got mad at her, and I was like, well, but your your boyfriend just slept around with her, so why are you getting mad at her? She had, she had to end up leaving. I would have much rather had all all the guys leave, so then I could get after her. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> they're against me, dude. They're against me. Yeah, that, that's called uh, that, that's that's a lunatic spot right there. Yeah. That's yeah. also that's also called being solutions oriented. I want to get rid of these other dudes, but yeah. I remember one time there was like I was like a sophomore, and like the senior, like you know, you had you had the person always like work for the office and drop off the stuff. This senior was like she was hitting on me the whole time, and, like I was like a sophomore, I like I, I kind of picked up on it, but even to this day, I was like, damn, like that girl, like. She was hitting on me, dude, and I was just like, oh, hey, how's it going? You know? Yeah. I, I wasn't the person that I am now. <laughs> yep. Oddly enough, I was able to capitalize when I was a sophomore on the on the senior yes, that was coming after yes, me. I remember, yeah. Oddly enough, because I said, figured you seem to be more uh, self-aware on those types of things at that, at that point in time. Oh, well, I, I, knew, yeah, I, I, I knew it was happening at the time when she was doing it. I just didn't capitalize on it. Wow. I, I, and I don't know why I did it. It's just, it was just like... I was like, I, I saw the avenue. It was like right there. Like I even knew it too. Because listen, I, I had game back then too. I didn't know I had game back then, but I did. Um, obviously, because she was just like stoking me the whole time, and I was like, I was like, there it is, there it is. I was like, all right, and I, I just went the other way. I, I just didn't get it. 
It, it, it did, it's never affected me enough like that. But you traveled the path of least resistance. I guess so. I guess so. I should I should have gone for the path with more resistance. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. All right. <laughs> All right. Anything else? Are we done? Um, do we have any more segments? Did you bring? Did you find your lunatic spot yet or not? No, you, you're no, good. You got yeah, just one one spot a week. You don't need okay. Okay. I, I, mean, I, I mean, I think this would be the point where I oh, might yeah, ask yeah. you uh, I, what, I what do you like about wrestling? Yeah, yeah I forgot. I see. Is there anything I like about wrestling this week? Is there anything I like about wrestling this week? Was there anything that I liked about wrestling this week? Um, no. <laughs> uh, you 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 know who I like. And I don't even remember. I don't even know who they are. Uh, but er- Eric Young's group. Uh, you like Sanity? There, there's, there's something there. I mean, not not. They're trying a little bit too hard, but uh, you know, they had a uh, Ty Dillinger like the match that didn't happen, and they beat up the guy that you liked. And uh, let, let let me see if I know this guy's name. I think I do. Uh, Austin, no, something strong, strong Smith or something. <laughs> Roderick Strong. Roderick Strong. I was close, dude. But uh, no, I I like the way. That I, so even though there wasn't a match there, right? And Eric Young sends, sends everybody to the back, and you're like, okay. I'm like, yeah, but that's not Eric Young's style. Like, that's not Eric Young's style, right? There's no reason why he would do that. And they, they throw out Roderick Strong, mm-hmm. and so just it, it, you know, and then you know, and, and then, then your man no way Jose came out. Did he? Did I fast forward that part? Probably did. Yeah. But I, I just you know because well the segment you know you have, you have Ty Dillinger like run out, you know, and start like calling for the ambulance and stuff. That's usually not that works. Mm-hmm. But but even 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 him doing that, it looked good. But. I like Ty Dillinger. I'm ready. I'm ready to see what he can do. I, mean, I think. Uh, I, I I think there might be a letdown a little bit, but uh, he's he's one of those guys that, you know, you can kind of play the whole thing of like, oh, he's been in NXT so long, but he when the when he's given the opportunity to be somewhat uh, interesting, he's he's taken off. He's somewhat interesting right now, and and you know what? That's okay. Yes. What do you like about wrestling right now? Well, I'll go ahead and keep it in NXT. I like seeing Chris Hero or Cassius Ono uh, wrestling on NXT and I just being able to see him again. It's been a long, long time since I've seen a Chris Hero match. Um, I haven't actually seen like a current Chris Hero match since I caught him just by chance on in Ring of Honor maybe five years ago when I first saw him and, and Castagnoli together. And... Um, then he's kind of been like uh, like the white whale for me, right? Like, right when I got the, right around when I got the network is right around when he left NXT, and that was one of the reasons why I wanted to start start watching NXT. Um, and then he went went traveling again, but now he's back. Um, you know, I didn't expect that he was going to win that match, um, but it was a it was a it was a fair match. And uh, what it, was the match for Chris? Uh, he he fought for the NXT title against Bobby Roode. Was this this past yeah. Wednesday? Okay. So and, he, did no, he win or lose? No, he lost. Okay. But um, it it also just tell kinda, me, man, did he win or lose? It further cemented exactly what you said about Bobby Roode about yeah. how like, like he's just this guy that again he's he's nothing super special, but just in the way that he's able to carry himself, he he carries himself like a champion. And even though I wanted Chris Hero to win, and I think Chris Hero is a is a better performer than Bobby Roode, I didn't have any problem with him losing the match. I always like Bobby Roode with Shield Money Man. That, that was a fun team. Okay. Dare I ask you if there's anything else you like about oh, it? Actually, I, there's a couple things I like. Right. I, I remember it. I rejogged my memory. Now, this, are you going to ask me? I just, just did. No, you, okay. No, you, okay. What do you like about wrestling? You gave me a week for it, dude. But okay, I'll take it. Um, now, this, this, this might be up for controversy, but I like Nia Jax. I, I really felt uh, 
So I like that. So I like the Nia Jax versus um, Sasha Banks match. Okay. Uh, like two weeks, uh, like a week ago or whatever, where Sasha pulled it out of thin air. Um, but I mean, Nia Jax, like, just the the the, the thing I don't like about it is that she's gonna have the same matches all the time until they like if they're ever gonna give her like like huge push where she just dominates. But I've seen over since since her beginning is that I've seen that she's been able to be dominant and then kind of if she has to lose, um, it, it's somewhat believable. Like the Sasha Banks was kind of like a Cinderella thing. I, the Bailey one, Bailey was like a was like a runner, right? Her one against Bailey. Oh, no, no, she beat Bailey. Yeah, she beat Bailey. Yeah. So, um, I just like I just like her dominance, her physicality, and uh, it it's kind of like a fresh. It's we're used to watching these divas and diva these women matches. A lot of technical spots, you know, a lot of kind of wrestling, which is kind of funny into itself because three, four years ago we wouldn't have said that. So it's nice to see like this big physical presence. I think she's doing a good job. Anything, anything that? That's good. That's good. Yeah. Um. Because you're kind of you're kind of like fifty fifty on it, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I think I think she's good, and I think there's definitely a place for her. But I think they don't know what to do with her because they're not ready to put the belt on her. So it lends itself to having a bunch of, like, finishes that aren't too believable. So that's that's my problem. Is like, and, and, and also, it's like, I've seen her lose to Bayley in, in NXT. I've seen her lose yeah. to Sasha Banks in NXT. So, I. so I hate how, you know, obviously Michael Cole doesn't watch, uh, like, NXT at all because he's going to have to talk like, oh, is it, is it possible that anyone could beat... You know this uh, this monster of a woman is like yeah I've seen it both times <laughs> I've seen it right so it's not like the both times but I've, yeah. I've seen it multiple times yeah so it's just so I don't know it's it's always like some weird finish where she's just ragdolling somebody all over the place and then she like I don't really like the roll up finish on her because I, it's hard to believe that someone would have the strength with no leverage to to roll her all the way up right and, and just little things like that. So you know what I think I like the most out of it is I'm still going to say that I like Nia Jax and I like what her recent run but what I, re- I really like her leg drop. I mean that leg drop is, is just brutal. Yeah. And, that, and, and that's what I that's when I was like oh wait a minute like yeah that's what I like. Yeah her leg drop is good that's a leg drop that I can buy as a finish. I, I'll, I'll give you that. What do you like about wrestling? Uh, do I need to do double duty over here? If you might. I, I, I'll, I guess I'll just double up on Are you, are you, wait, wait, are you going to say that you like a uh, Everything that Samoa Joe's doing. No, I wasn't gonna say. I I can't. I can't say that. But I I will double up or a double up and just say I really like everything that Austin Aries is doing right now. Even though we went on that segment before, um, and and I'm glad that you that you came around to see things my way. I I think he's a great performer, and um, and and I think another kind of back at what we were talking about in the first segment, um, and in terms of bringing diversity to a WrestleMania uh, card, having him and Neville be the cruiserweight representative match on that card. I think that's gonna that's gonna shine well uh, for uh, for Austin Aries. Any guy any guy that strikes the way he does and everything is like a is like a strong move in terms of like his his elbow his elbow drop out of the ring. Now that's a flipping that's a flipping dive out of the ring, right? Mm-hmm. I, I love that elbow drop out of the ring. Like the suicide dive with the elbow. You're talking yeah, about? yeah. I mean it's just because it's, it's a legit move. After seeing suicide dive after suicide dive, that's just terrible. So. I still got one. I still got one. What do you like about wrestling? <laughs> what I like about wrestling is, uh, so it was nice seeing uh, 
Uh, who's that guy? Um, who's the dude that uh, Tenzon? It was nice seeing Tenzon uh, on, <laughs> but that's not what I like about wrestling. That's not what my thing is. I just wanted to give out a shot to Tenzon because I mean, Tenzon's my boy. Anytime you can hear him go, come on! I mean, that, that's like gold record, right? I like that every time that Kanahashi loses, the guy's on the flipping ground every time. He's like, he has like the worst like promo of all time. So everything about this guy is so cheesy that it works. I like it, but I I love to hate it. That's that's I I never to love it. Dude. I was gonna say you, you don't really like that, right? I think I think it's the, one of the funniest things I've ever seen. It's like it's fun to make fun of him. Yeah. And, you know that that's what I like about it. It's like he gives me an opportunity to make to make fun of him. It's like the the best you know. So he comes out and plays air guitar. Who the hell plays air guitar? What is he is he like is he from Wayne's World or something like that? I mean like okay back in the nineties that, that that was popping back then, dude. I mean air guitar was was, was the place to be way back when. So he does that to pump himself up to pump pump the fans up. But when he loses, the guy's always on the ground, like, every single time. So, like, the, the past one he lost against, uh, uh, what was the guy's name? Sakata, or what was his name? Uh, no, uh, Sonata. Sonata, okay. Um, which we which, talked about on the well, last yeah, podcast, yeah. that was, was a great match. Yeah, it, it was, yeah, it was a good match. I mean, so, no, he, he's, he's a good wrestler. I mean, that guy has a lot of potential, so, so I was impressed with him. Um, but after that match, he's, like, laying on the ground just saying, like, I lost. I'm like, yeah. We, we know it, dude. And then, like, you know, and there's a couple times where he doesn't even say anything. Like, he'll just be, like, crawling on the ground. Like, you know, when you get really drunk and, you know, you're crawling on the ground to, to get to your bed and stuff. Can't relate. You know? <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know, like, like that, that's, it, it's just, just to watch this guy, like, when he loses. It's like, it's like, that's worth the price of admission right there. Like, if I, if I was a buying, a, if I was buying a ticket to a Japanese show, I would get press credentials for the quote-unquote press. And just, just so I could see this guy, his antics after he loses. Because they're, they're classics, dude. Yeah. Nothing? Oh, about, about Tanahashi? Yeah. No, nah, it's super corny. Like, their, their whole, a lot of those um, New Japan post-matches um, are from really bad interviews and promos. But yeah, the, his whole thing of him, I mean, he, he's just crawling around like he's, like he's so spent. <laughs> How do you how do you get back how do you get backstage in the first place? <laughs> like and and whoever dragged him back there they couldn't they couldn't have thrown him in a chair. He dragged him back there. I can see him like all of them by the underarm yeah. and like dragging him. They just, just drop him right there <laughs> and be like, all right, here, here press, late, late, let's oppress it, let's oppress it now. Late Tanahashi. Yeah. Deuces. <laughs> Deuces. So what, right. do, what what do you like about wrestling? All right, I liked I only like. because it reminded me of one of the the more memorable moments of. Uh, of wrestling history, I like seeing Baron Corbin pin Dean Ambrose with a forklift, just because it reminded me of of The Rock pinning Mick Foley with a forklift, even though it's a dumb spot. No, no, no. Mick Foley pinned The Rock with a forklift. Yes, my bad. And and, and The Rock's elbow, his shoulder was up. Right, because right. because yeah, but yeah, because there was a pallet involved that yeah. time, and I think there's some wiggle room with the pallet. <laughs> but it, it appeared that Baron had a uh, Dean Ambrose uh, pinned pretty good. Uh huh. I. I, I I don't know why, but I kind of want to see where this feud goes. I, I want to see if, like, I think it's a good opportunity to put a belt on Baron Corbin and let, let Dean Ambrose give someone a rub and, and see what Baron Corbin can do. So I'm, I'm, it's a, it's a guilty pleasure, but I think I'm sort of liking the direction of that feud. And and here's the thing: is like, you know, we were so down on Dean Ambrose and Baron Corbin out the gate was a boring character. Both of those guys have have done well. I mean, like Dean Ambrose when he's played well. You know, he's, he's entertaining. It's just a, it's a case where he's like one of those guys, like, okay, put him with this guy, put him with that guy, put him with this guy, you know, get this guy over. And I think that's what really Dean Ambrose is right now. Um, 
So yeah, I, am I, do I have an interest? Probably not. But, um, you know, I, I respect both the guys, and I think it's good. Yeah. yeah. I have a question for you, man. What's the question? So, being that we're recording this podcast on uh, 316, what's your favorite Stone Cold Steve Austin memory? Because there were a lot of good memes and and uh, and uh, and gifts going around today, or gifs for some people. Gifs. Um, going around, uh, kind of like chronicling the the a long career of one Stone Cold Steve Austin. So, uh, in honor of 316 Day, what's your favorite Stone Cold Steve Austin? Well, it doesn't have to be Stone Cold. What's your favorite Steve Austin memory? Uh, well, I have a, I have a ton, uh, which is actually funny because I'm not a big Steve Austin fan. A couple, uh, so some honorable mentions, real fast, okay? Was when uh, he was at Shawn Michaels' house and they're both drunk off their ass and they're and they're going live via satellite. That that was good. Uh, one of the other ones I like too. So I remember, so I saw his 316 promo after he beat Jake the Snake the day after the pay per view because they played in its entirety and and watching, I was blown away by that promo. And then when WWE was, when, when I remembered how good they were, and, and saying, like, you know, these guys are going to turn it around, was it was, like, some Olympic spot, right, where, like, he had, like, a shot put, and he was just, like, looking at it, and he's just doing things, like, what the heck is this, and he just, like, chucks it, right? And there's, like, some guy with the Olympic torch, and he's running, and he gets hit by the shot put. So that, that was good. But by and far, my, my favorite one was, and this is one that uh, me and the producer, my brother, uh, still say to this day, is, uh, is when... Um, McMahon is in the hospital, and and Mr. and the, it's it's the debut of Mr. Sacco, right? Because mankind brings out Mr. Sacco, right? And then and then mankind comes back with like this female clown, and he it's just like all this stuff, and, you know, and and mankind's like you know, oh Vince, I hope you're okay, this that and this, and like he kind of like pats him on the because he had a messed up knee, and he's kind of like pats him on the knee, he's like ah, and he's like Mick, he's like ah, you know, he's like he's like get out of here, he's like get him out of here, like don't let him come back in, and he's like talking to the nurse, he's like. He's like, can I get like some pain medication? He's like, I don't know. She's like, that's up to the doctor. And all of a sudden he's like, I'll take over from here, nurse. <laughs> it's like it's Steve Austin's like, and McMahon had that look on yeah, his face. Yeah. So he starts beating him up and he gets and then the bed the, the bedpan, like the best shot ever. So that that by So even to this day, like me and the producer, like like we'll be saying something. And I'm like, I'll take over from here, nurse. <laughs> that's 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 the by far the best one. Yeah, that was a that was a good solid shot with the bedpan to the dome. Cause McMahon sold it too, right? Yeah. He, he like started sitting up right when he took right when he took the bedpan and then he yeah, just popped right back yeah. down. Yeah. yeah, that was a good ping right there. What about you? What what's the what what memory of, of Austin do you want to uh, commemorate on three sixteen? Um, I, I think that might be the best one. That and and the the um the speech after uh, the 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 you talk about your songs and all that. I thought that was that was really good too. Um, I think the overall like. Uh, the feud, like the feud with McMahon, I thought was was just really good. There was like something, there was something like that was kind of real about it, and um, maybe not so much him, but I just him fighting The Rock, just the chemistry that the two of them had, and the way The Rock pulled that stunner when you like yeah. roll roll do a backflip, bounce off the rope, and fall back. I always liked that. Um, I, I, but you, but you've never seen, and, and I'll, I'll say this right now, and I'm not saying it to like demean demean you or whatever. But you have never seen Austin in his prime. When he was in his prime, like just like the wildest character you've ever You're seen. Talking about like before he was what, Stone Cold. No, when he first became Stone Cold, like because even like so like he was like this just like this lanky Texan guy, right? And and like the stuff that he did with Bret Hart, like back in the day, like which really put him on the map. I mean, like the the 
the ferocity and the intensity of his matches against Hart, I mean, it was just like nonstop. And, and it, was, it wasn't like it was like, it was like a wrestling match. I mean, they were like straight out brawls. And, and they were able to make them into wrestling matches. But you, you need to go back and, and watch a lot of the matches of Stone Cold when he first became Stone Cold and Bret Hart. And the stuff that led up to the double thing? Yeah, for, yeah, for when he passed out and stuff. Like all that stuff leading up to it. It was just, it was crazy, and the whole thing is, I remember, um, I was, I was watching WCW at the time, and then they had Livewire on a Saturday. So what, what happens? I worked six to three, on a Saturday morning. I would take my, I would take my, uh, I would take my lunch, or I'd record it back when you had VHS tapes, right? And I would record Livewire just, just to pick stuff up, and they would show all this stuff. So over a course of like two months, I just saw this character. You know, Stone Cold, and at first it's like, it's like, man, like, man, God, I hate that guy, dude. I'm like, that guy sucks. And I'm like, well, dude, I'm like the ringmaster. <laughs> like, well, now he's trying to be like a badass and stuff. And like, and he's, like, he was like, stunning Steve Austin. I'm like, man, screw that guy. That guy, he had his chance. He's like, he sucks, dude. And all of a sudden, like, over the course of two, three months, he just starts going crazy, cutting killer promos, just being a killer heel. And and I, I'm seriously, I'm like, I'm just sitting there, just like watching this, and just blown away by it. And, was, and, and was then this, was this when he was like being a valet for DiBiase? No, this was right after. So this was after after he, he stopped being the ringmaster. Yeah, after he stopped being the ringmaster, he started getting this program with Hart. And see, and I didn't like Hart, right? I thought Bret Hart was. I didn't like. I mean, I liked him, but I thought he was just like this vanilla babyface. So you had these two totally different guys, and just watching Austin take off. And then during that time that Austin's taking off, Bret Hart's becoming a dick. And it's like, dude, I'm like, dude, I'm like, that's the Bret Hart. I'm like, he, he is a dick. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's just like, so is he is a dick. That's what, but I remember just watching this and going like. Not only is Austin just taking off because we watched wrestling different back then, yeah. right? Like it wasn't like we're like now where it's like we, we know everything. It's like you know there's no information. You waited every week to see what's going on, and you had to buy a pay per view. If you didn't buy a pay per view, didn't have money, you're out of luck, right? So I'm just watching Austin take off and just be this like I, I just I can't explain I can't explain the intensity that he had in the ring. There's nothing I can do to explain how he was when he was first started the WWE. What I will tell you though is that the way that he he went on like a, a two, three month stretch where he was just like the hottest thing ever. And just like, you didn't know whether to cheer for him or hate him, but you just had to watch him because he he was like must see TV. And then what Bret Hart did with his character during that time, where being that really, really great baby face and slightly turning into a heel, but still in that gray area, that was great as well. The most important match that Austin had, I believe, was on a Raw, and I believe it was with The Rock. And this was during the during the height where WCW, probably three or four weeks later, lost the lost the ratings war to WWF after a long time. I remember watching Austin versus Rock in just a, a mid card match, and the the intensity that both these guys had. I mean, Austin could go, dude. I think people forget that Austin before he got hurt could go like a motherfucker. I mean, like one of the most intense. I mean, you, you think Daniel Bryan was intense in the ring. Uh, he he couldn't hold a candle to, to Austin his prime. And I remember watching both of these guys give everything they have. And I think Austin won. Someone won, someone lost, but, they, but it was clean. It was in the middle of the ring. And that's that was like my, my wake-up moment. I was like, okay. And, and w- WCW has, has the guys, I said, but this has the wrestling. I'm going to start watching this from now on. And whoever lost didn't lose any momentum from that whatsoever. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. You don't, and, even, you don't even remember who lost. Yeah. yeah. And the one thing I will say about Austin is that Austin was... Austin was probably the best WWF champion ever because he won a lot, but he lost as well. 
and it, and you never got tired of him winning. There 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 was maybe two or three seconds I got tired of the Rockets Stone Cold setup, but when when it was a big match because he beat the Rock all the time, but I never got mad at him being the Rock because it was a good match and it was it was the match of the night. So he may have won a lot, but at the same time, like he I, I felt that he he built the business up the right way. And you look at the start that came out of his era as champion, and there there is no other era in wrestling where he was where you had a champion and then there was. 15 stars ready to take his place in the last mm-hmm. I mean, unpar- unparalleled in wrestling. I, he doesn't get the he doesn't get the credit that's due. And I'm not a big Steve Austin fan, but he gave a lot to the business. That's good. That's interesting because you know I, I hear a lot of people these days like retroactively talking about how the Attitude Era wasn't that good. And you know I'm not gonna try to sit here and say everything that was in the Attitude Era was great, but. Um, but I think that's that's that kind of frames it really well that you had a guy that was on top on Austin, but it wasn't something like you have, you know, over the last decade where one guy dominated everything and, and the universe revolved around him. It was built up and it was set up so that you had these other guys the Rock could take over. Triple H was there, Edge was getting built up, a lot lot of other guys out there. And that's 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 good for Austin that yeah, you can lose matches, not lose any momentum and ha- and, and they're in the business of building other stars. And Jericho's still to this day talking about how he beat Rock and Austin in one night, right? And, you know, there's probably, you know, a lot of other superstars out there that would not would not have, you know, been willing to, to do that. And Austin was comfortable enough in his yeah. position and understood, you know, that's how you're gonna make this business viable going forward by, by creating these guys. And e- even today he's still he's offering a ton of insight. He started the whole podcast boom. Mm-hmm. At least I mean, you could probably say he started he was a big push for all podcasts. You know, he, he he had one of the first successful podcasts, and then it just opened up all the doors to all the other wrestling podcasts. So, good stuff, man. I, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, I have my boy, uh, Bad Amma Jones, over here. I am Bad News Ramen. Uh, we will check you out next week, and uh, we'll just go from there and uh, say something stupid, Paul. Chef Boyardee. Don't be a jabroni. Eat your Chef Boyardee ravioli. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was that the jingle? That's the jingle. <laughs> jingle jangle. <laughs> Rip it up in every angle. <laughs>